0: The end of Luke 9, Jesus is about two years into his three year public ministry. So there's one year left, and this Luke 9, as we'll see, is is a kind of a turning point. So the first two years, Jesus obviously has to help people understand who he is, what he's about. And there's a lot of miracles and a lot of things that he does and says. and But most for the most part, he's, he's gaining followers and he's gaining in popularity. And so you need to feel in this chapter the different movements that are taking place. It's like, uh, I know some of you this month will jump in the ocean. <clears throat> and the great thing about the ocean is there's all kinds of movement. You're... You're standing there and a wave is trying to push you forward, but then you feel the undertow try to pull you back. And then in some oceans, you have a current that's trying to drag you down the beach. You've all been in that spot. And essentially, what that's what's happening here. There's all kinds of currents and toes and waves that are happening here in Luke 9. So let me just show you a few. First, in Luke 9, chapter 1, I mean, verse 1, Jesus sends out the 12 disciples on their first missionary journey. So they'd been following Jesus. They sort of gotten enough information and being around Jesus to, for him to say, Okay, guys, I'm going to send you out to these surrounding villages. And as we saw, their message had, had really reached the heart of the people. So that thousands of people come to start looking for Jesus, which is where we get the feeding of the 5,000, which was really more like 20,000. And if you remember, that meeting wasn't like a picnic, like you might see in a a vacation Bible school or a children's uh, Bible. It's more like a political rally. So if you think about 20,000 people, they're hungry for leadership change. And they see Jesus' power they see what he's proclaiming, and they say, he's, he's this person. And then Jesus, in uh, 928, which we talked about last week, Jesus discloses his identity and power in the transfiguration in a very unique way. And Jesus understands all of this power and popularity. It's not actually pulling him to become the king of Israel, at least not in the way his disciples would say. Look with me at Luke 9:51. When the days drew near for Jesus to be taken up, he set his face to go to Jerusalem. That's like a marker in Luke. He's he's been in the northern part of Galilee, which is pretty much friendly territory. But his popularity and his power is growing. But he knows his popularity and power are actually leading toward a cross. But that's not what his disciples think. And so he's having to adjust their expectations. And we'll see it throughout the rest of Luke. But you can see it right here. The the people following Jesus were... Captured, let's say, by a different current. They're standing in the same ocean with Jesus, but, but he feels the undertow to the cross, and they feel a wave. And what their goal is, is, well, they've trusted in Jesus, and we're going to ride the Jesus wave. And because, like a surfer, we're going to get on top. And because he's coming in, and we're like his next closest friends, people are going to see us. Oh, this is going to be awesome. The Jesus wave is breaking on shore. I'm one of those people who's going to catch the wave and I'm going to be on top. And the reason you know that, Luke 9, 46, an argument broke out. Imagine this after the transfiguration. An argument broke out and arose among the disciples as to which one of them, I mean, this is so painful, isn't it? who's going to be the greatest? I mean, all 12 of us are paddling and we're going to all look like we're catching this wave, but I want to make sure I'm up on top. I want to make sure, I mean, I'm riding the Jesus wave. I'm not going to be here without Jesus, but I'm going to get on top. So everybody notices me and I don't want any of you 12 taking my spot. They believed in Jesus. They believed he was creating a wave of change. But they wanted to use that to ride, ride to their own personal power, to their own personal popularity. It's, it's a mighty temptation today to follow Jesus really as a way to use Jesus, to, to get the things you want, to make sure you're noticed, to make sure you're on top of everything. Again, we see it in another example, chapter 9, verse 51 the quickest way from Galilee to, to Jerusalem is through the area in the middle called Samaria. And the Samaritans hated the Jews and the Jews hated the Samaritans. You probably know that story. And Jesus sends some people ahead to say, hey, can you prepare a place for us to shelter overnight in Samaria before we get to Jerusalem? And the people come back after the sort of look, their little mission and say, hey, they don't want us there. You got to go around. It's a much longer trip. And James and John, two of the people who were at the transfiguration of Jesus, what's their suggestion? Lord, do you want us to call down fire from heaven and consume them? <laughs> I mean, what if you're Jesus, what are you thinking? I'm trading in. I mean, no. I mean, you got, see, what's happened is we've seen power. Power. And what they want to do is they want to use that power. We've seen the power. We don't like these people and let's just burn them up. And this has to be, this has to be one of the ugliest episodes in the New Testament. I don't know if you notice this. It's very hard to win people to Christ if you hate them. Think about it. Is there a group that you hate? Do they vote Democrat or Republican? Do they have some different orientation than you do? And somewhere in your heart, you just feel like, these people, if we could just burn these people up, then we could go on about our lives. Is that. See, you see how easy that is to get into your heart? It's quite a temptation. Christians cloaking their anger or prejudices with Bible verses to get on top. Worse, much worse, clergy using their power to take advantage of people they're supposed to lead. this is the backdrop. This is what you have to understand as we get to these last verses in chapter 9. There's a lot of movement. There's a lot of current happening here. And and this is where three very brief conversations, you notice them? There's three conversations. They each happen in two verses. And it appears as if Jesus is talking people out of following Jesus. Did you notice that? Dr. Jim Shaddix, he's the preaching professor at Southeastern Baptist Theological Seminary, which is where I went, he, in Raleigh, North Carolina, or Wake Forest, North Carolina. And he delivered a message to college students on this text. And at the beginning, this is what he said, My goal tonight is to talk you out of following Jesus. Imagine a Baptist preaching professor saying that. But the reason he said it is because when he looks at this text, it appears that's what Jesus is doing. It seems like people want to come and follow Jesus. I mean, they, two of them say, I'm going to follow you. And and he gives a harsh answer like, hey, you might want to reconsider. I'm not sure what you think you're asking, but I think it's different than what I'm going to be asking for followers. And so here's how I'd like to approach these three conversations this morning I'd like to say it this way. You might want to reconsider following Jesus if. You might want to reconsider following Jesus if. If you prefer comfort over a cross. If you prefer that your plans take priority over his plans. And finally, you might want to reconsider following Jesus if your people, your family, your friendships, they take priority over following Jesus. Number one, you might want to reconsider following Jesus if you prefer comfort over a cross. As some were going along the road, someone comes up to Jesus. So there's a crowd of people there. There's the 12 disciples, but there are other people who would call themselves disciples. They're following along. And he comes up, he gets his way to Jesus and said, I will follow you wherever you go. I will follow you wherever you go. This seems like a good start to me. My my Baptist friends, and I won't look up right now because they all sit in the back. Uh, They'll remember the hymn. Wherever he leads, what? I'll go. Remember singing that? Oh, I've seen that so many times. Wherever he leads, I'll go. That's, that feels like this guy. He's coming up to Jesus saying, Where, wherever you lead, I'm going to follow. I'm, I'm all in. I'm, I'm ready to do serious business with the Lord. i, I I'm, I've sold out. I'm, I'm here. I'm ready to follow. But Jesus' response is uh, not quite what mine would be. I mean, if somebody came down the aisle in the middle of the church service and said, I'm ready to follow, I'd say, brothers and sisters, this person's ready to follow. Let's praise the Lord, right? That's what you would feel like doing. But Jesus is going to turn to this guy and basically try to talk him out of following Hey, when foxes are hunted or there's bad weather, they they have a hole. They have a home. When birds are flying around, they get tired. They've got some place to go. But the Son of Man, Jesus, no place to lay his head. In other words, I'm, I'm not leading people to comfort, sir. I'm leading people to a cross. And it's helpful to understand maybe a bit more about this man that we learn in the other gospel accounts. Matthew says the person is a scribe. For us, that the translate, best translation is like a lawyer. It's someone who knows the law, knows the, the Old Testament law. And you would go to this person and say, I need help with the law. Very popular, very powerful people. And in Mark chapter 12, Jesus says, beware of the scribes. And this is, how, this is how he describes them. Beware of the scribes who like to walk around with long robes to make a show. They like the best seats in the synagogue. When there's a feast, they've got to have the places of honor. They devour widows' homes they take advantage of poor women for their own financial success or gain. And it was customary in Jesus's days days that scribes would find teachers who seemed like they were moving up and to the right. And they would attach themselves to that teacher because they felt like as the teacher rises, guess what? I rise too and they would come around these different scribes. And of course, these scribes are seeing Jesus saying, hey, nobody can get a crowd like this. So if I attach myself to him, as Jesus' popularity grows, then I get to go with him. I get to go with him on this ride. And of course, they think the ride is up. And Jesus is trying to say, hey, here's the ride. If you're not in for this ride, you might want to reconsider getting on the ride. The road to following Jesus was not a road of self-advancement, but self-denial. And as we make our way through the rest of Luke, which we will eventually, you can see that, that Jesus just reinforces this same thing all the way through. Luke chapter 10, verse 3. I'm sending you out as lambs in the midst of what? Yeah, that's anybody raising their hand for that? See, you don't get a place of honor at a feast if you're a lamb. You are the feast. See, that's a totally different seed, is it not? You can have the seat of honor or you can be the, be the person that's consumed. Which one would you rather have? You see, it's a, diff, it's a different road that I'm on, scribe, and I, I want to make sure you know the road, and I'm going to try to talk you out of it because I'm not sure you're really committed like you think you are. Luke chapter 10, verse 25, the story of the Good Samaritan. If you follow after me, Jesus says, then you're going to sacrifice for the very people you dislike the most. And you're going to give up your treasure to help them. You're not gaining worldly treasure. You're giving up your worldly treasure to, to help people you don't like and don't like you. It, was that what you were asking to do? Is that the road you were asking to get on? Or, or were you trying to ride the Jesus wave that while he's popular, oh, I'm going to grow. I'm going to get like him because I'm going I'm going to be able to be seen. I'm going to Get on top. Foxes have holes, birds have nests. But but I'm not on a comfortable road. Many years ago my family would remember we decided to go camping. I don't know if this is a good activity for a family, but you know, everybody does it, right? So we got the tent and everything. We go up to the mountains, we go whitewater rafting, and we get to the campsite. And uh, we have to make it as comfortable as possible. So we've got the blow-up mattress. We've got the comforter. We've got a nightlight. We've got a fan. We've got a television plugged into our car that we drag into our tent. <laughs> I mean, is this camping? You don't camp with a comforter, a fan, and a television. That's being at home. But do you see what we're trying to do? We like our home. And if we have to go on a trip, we'd like to bring all of our comforts with us. You can't do that if you're going to follow Jesus. There's some comforters you got to leave back at home. I wonder if you know which one yours is. Yours is. I mean, you're all in. Paul, I'm sold out. I'm going to follow, but I've got to have this blanket with me. I've got to have this thing to go with me. And Jesus is saying, you, you might want to reconsider. If you bring that with you, you won't fit into the kingdom. See, see it's getting serious now for Jesus. When he he sets his face to Jerusalem, he's going to find out who really, really wants to follow. Secondly, you might want to reconsider following Jesus if your plans take priority. To another, he said, follow me. So Jesus is now in this same crowd and he sees somebody and says, hey, you follow me. What, What a great invitation. What a great invitation. Here's how the man responds. A first, first, circle that. Lord, let me first go and bury my father. Most Bible scholars agree that this man didn't have a father who was dead. And he, you know, just died a day or two ago. Nor did he have a father who was just about ready to die. the the phrase bury my father is a commonly used phrase for, to describe a commitment to a particular plan. And it's not a terrible plan. We're not bashing on this guy, but he's got a commitment to it. And the plan is that when the father dies, the son would get the inheritance. Then he, then he'd have his sort of finances in order. He has his family in order And then he can kind of set his own agenda. But while his father is alive, he's got to sort of wait around for things to unfold until he gets all of the things that he needs set. And then he can follow. So he's saying, Jesus, I am really willing to follow. I appreciate you asking me. I mean, this is awesome. But I've got a preset plan. And as soon as I get all my stuff settled, as soon as I get all my stuff in order, Jesus, I'm all for you. But first... See, first I've got to get some things done. The guy's not saying, Jesus, I need to go to a funeral. He's saying, I need to hang around until my father passes away. I need to get everything in order, my family, my finances. And then I'll be ready. You might want to reconsider. If you have a dream, if you have a precept plan and you start following Jesus, and that preset plan gets in the way of following Jesus, then you're going to have to reconsider. Once again, Jesus reinforces this. I'm not just taking this out of context. Luke chapter 14, some of us know this. We'll get to it eventually, the parable of the great banquet. Remember, a great man's thrown a great banquet, and he goes out and says, hey, invite these people. And there's three different groups of people that he invites specifically. And they each, and here's what he says, come for everything is ready now. Like right now, now is the time to come. The banquet's starting right now. You've got to drop everything and come to the banquet. And he meets these three people and there's three excuses. First, I've got to first worry about my investments. Second, I've got to first worry about my business. And the third person, I've got to first worry about my family. Are those competitors to anybody in here? The, the time to follow Jesus is right now. And if you say, I'm really ready as soon as I get my family, my investments, and my business in order, then hear me say from Jesus, you might want to reconsider. If there's something first that's not Jesus, then he's telling you, he's telling me, hey, reconsider. Listen to Jesus' response. Very harsh. Let the dead bury the dead. Okay. I mean, you wonder what this guy thought. What is Jesus saying? I think in in a hard but kind way, you're pursuing dead things. I mean, they feel like life. I know they do. I know it feels like if you got your family in order and your finances in order, that feels life giving. That's dead, compared to following Jesus. And you're going to end up dying with those things. Don't go down the road of death. That's not a road of life. It's a road of death. Follow me, and what do you say? be a part of the kingdom of God. What a, what a tremendous invitation, but he's got to let go of some things. He's got to let go of a preset plan that he had in his mind. This is the way my life must work out. When you find Jesus, he has another way for your life to work out. And that's the best way. And every other dream that we have, it's a way to death, not to life. Sorry, visitors. <laughs> you just ran into Jesus at a tough moment. Number three, and this is the hardest or maybe the most challenging for some people. You might want to reconsider following Jesus if your people take priority. Yet another, verse 61, said, I will follow you. See this, I'm, I'm sold out, Lord. But, you can circle this again. Let me first say farewell to those at my home. On the surface, again, this doesn't appear unreasonable with with the exception of this first. You notice the second and the third guy, they, they both have uh, a condition on following Jesus. I would say here, you might want to reconsider following Jesus if you need to put a condition on your following. First, let me say farewell to those at my home. What is Jesus warning this man of? You you know the warning. You go back home, your relationships, they have a powerful influence on your soul. And you might not come back. I mean, right now, I know you're sold out, but I just, I know Jesus knows things about you. He knows things about your soul and he, and he knows there are comforters that you have, but there's people that you have that are like comforters and, and they're going to have a massive gravitational pull on your soul. And if you get wrapped up into that, I'm afraid you're just not going to make it back. And so he uses a, he's just, Jesus just master illustrator using an agricultural illustration. Anyone who puts his hand to the plow and looks back, no, no one who puts his hand to the plow and looks back is fit for the kingdom of God. Puts his hand to the plow. It's the way I'm saying I'm fully committed. I've got both hands in. I'm, I'm going down the straight and narrow but I, I look back. You can read this in Genesis 9, 19. Lot's wife. See, see I, I, I know I'm escaping death. I know I'm going towards life. I've got both of my hands on the plow. But I have an old affection. And I've got to keep looking back. Now, I think your heart can have a hundred affections. But here... It's a personal affection, so it's I think it's even more of a gravitational pull i I have this old affection, and Jesus is warning against having a divided heart, especially when it comes to your family or close relationships. Jesus knows that it's a real possibility if this man goes back home even just to say goodbye, to tell his family. I'm following Jesus. No turning back. No turning back. If he does, he knows some of his family and friends are going to try to talk him out of it. And he doesn't know. I don't know. Does he know this man? Does he know if the man's got the strong enough, you know, courage to say, I'm still going to go for it? I don't know. But he's warning the man. And again, Jesus reinforces this at a different point in Luke, chapter 12, verse 51. It might be helpful just to turn and look at these few verses with me. 12.51, Jesus, do you think that I've come to give peace on earth? Answer, no. 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 No, I tell you, but rather division for from now on in one house, there will be five divided three against two, two against three. They'll be divided father against son or son against father, mother against daughter, daughter against mother, mother mother-in-law, daughter-in-law. He's covering all the bases, all the family bases that in a, in a family, if a couple of people start following Jesus, there's going to be some division, And it's going to be very hard for the people following to stay. It's going to just be very difficult. Jesus understands that. If you haven't read the book Pilgrim's Progress, just put it on your summer reading list. And especially if you have children, it's great just to read this to them. And it's about a young man whose name name turns out to be Christian who has a great burden on his back, which is sin. He meets an evangelist and the evangelist tells him, you can get rid of the burden on your back if you follow Jesus. So the whole thing is just how Christian follows Jesus. The very, very first part of the book, he's fleeing from his hometown. Remember, Remember the name of his hometown? The City of Destruction. Such a great image. So this young man, he's fleeing. He's got a big burden on his back. He's fleeing the city of destruction. And this, let me read what it says. He had not gone too far from his home when his wife and children came crying after him to come back. But he did not look back. See, your wife and your children Then his neighbors came out to see him run towards the door of eternal life. Some mocked, others threatened. Two neighbors were good runners and caught up to him. We're here to persuade you to return with us. And here's how Christian responds. That can never be. Why don't you come along with me? His friends response. What? And leave all our friends in comfort behind? Yeah. If you put your hand to the plow, some of your key relationships are going to get left behind. When I was doing Young Life, I took kids to camp, and we would almost always meet at Longleaf Mall. Because in those days, nobody went to Longleaf Mall, and the parking lot was big. and <laughs> We'd load up these buses, Go off to camp, and we come back, usually drive overnight from Wendy Gap get here in the morning and you spend a week with these kids and and several of them really you know they saw Jesus for the first time. I remember the seventeen year old boy that had been working with in Hanover just the night before he stood up in the last night and it, and it, we caught call, we called it the say so Let those who are redeemed by the Lord say so so it was, a, it was like their very first step to say, I've decided to follow Jesus, no turning back. But, you know, every leader in the room knows they're going to go home. And they're going to face this danger that Jesus is warning about. I, I couldn't help it. Can't I can't go home with all these kids. After a week, I didn't want to go home with any of them. But don't tell them that. <laughs> So this young man, 17, stood up. I I think he really meant it. it. I don't think he thought he was fooling himself. He got off the bus. He was met by his brother and his friends who had beer, beer coolers packed in their truck, and they were all headed out to the beach, and they were there to pick him up. See, he's got a tough choice. That's a tough choice for a 17-year-old young man to say, you know what? I can't go that way. That is very hard for someone to do. College students return home and tell their Christian parents, I, I've decided to follow Jesus. Parent says, well, don't, don't take it too seriously. Seriously. I mean, don't let it change your major. I mean, make sure you you get into the business school. You, You see what's happening here? You see the tension? The parent has a preset plan. And the child understands the preset plan, but now they've got a new master. Oh, this is tough for a parent and child. And the child says, but I'm going a different way, mom, dad. He has a plan. And his plan takes priority. I'm sorry to say, mom and dad, over your plan for me. That's that's very hard. You have friends that were used to you and your old worldly lifestyle. And now you find yourself, I don't you're not agreeing with them. And 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 I this has happened, it might have happened to you well then we just can't be friends anymore your old friends say that's hard it's hard to lose your family it's hard to lose your friends I've seen this more often recently than I used to you're a parent of a college student who returns home and they've decided not to follow Jesus and the parent is afraid of losing their relationship with their son and daughter So they compromise their beliefs. These parents who sit up front and they sing the songs and they're all for Jesus, they get afraid because their son and daughter are now doing some things they don't really approve of. But I don't want to lose that relationship. So my my relationship with Jesus begins to erode. It begins to weaken. Well, okay, I, I can see that. I mean, you're right. You feel that tension? That's difficult. You're a 28 year old young woman. It seems like all your friends are married. You're dating someone who really hasn't put their hand to the plow. You know what I'm saying? I ask people that dating their sons or daughter dating someone else. Are they a real deal Christian? That's what I say. A real deal. Go to church. I mean, this is hard, isn't it? I'm 28. I mean, all my friends are married. This guy's not. He's a nice guy. He will come to church with me. But what does Jesus know? What does Jesus know? Oh, you marry this person, and 20 years later, the erosion that takes place in your faith just one little wave at a time. And it, when, when you're 28, you're walking down the aisle, it's just one little wave. Not doesn't seem like a big deal. But let me tell you, 20 years later, erosion. And your house just falls. So you, you feel the tension. That's, that's not easy. If I were preaching this in India, which I've been to, This conversation would be the most relevant conversation. I spoke at a pastor's conference. Maybe there were 100 pastors and their wives there. And during the breaks, I would get a chance to talk to them through an interpreter. I'd just ask them their story. All the ones I can remember, both the pastor and his wife have come out of a Hindu background And their parents said, You can never come back home. You can't even come back to the village if you ever decide to follow Jesus. If you plow and look back, plow and look back, what does Jesus say? You're not going to fit. I really wish it said something else. Wouldn't that be easier? But you see what Jesus is saying? Hey, it's getting serious now. It's it's not a, just about miracles and popularity and political rallies. It's about the cross. And I've got my eyes on it. And I need to get your eyes on it. And if you just want to come and say, "Hey, I want to follow," Woo-hoo. no, no. Let's reconsider. It's not a wave you ride to your own power and popularity. It's not something that's comfortable or doesn't have a real cost. These three had a mistaken idea of what it meant to follow Jesus. And I think in a truthful, kind but hard way, He says, you might want to reconsider.